Welcome to the Grazing Podcast for Robertson Sheetham Farmers Co-op. My name is Clint, and I will be your host as we record live from our beautiful Springfield, Tennessee location inside our podcast studio. Robertson Cheatham is a member-owned farm supply cooperative. You can learn more about us on our website, yourfarmerscoop.com, in addition to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Welcome back to the Grazing Podcast for Robertson Cheatham Farmers Cooperative. We have been doing a little bit of traveling here lately, and uh, let's see, a couple weeks ago we were in Nashville, last week we went up to Russellville, Kentucky, this week we are back in Springfield, we are not at our studio, we actually are down here at the fairgrounds building at the Tennessee-Kentucky Tobacco Expo, and we are fortunate enough to be able to speak with Teresa Ward with National Ag Consultants, and we're going to learn a little bit more about what that means but Teresa you had a when I we were getting prepared for this just a second ago and I really liked that joke that you made I asked you know what what is the name of the company you said you can say National Ag Consultants or you can say Knack Knack because y'all have a knack for doing what you do we have a knack for that that was perfect the abbreviation of course Knack for yes. National Ag Consultants so uh, Teresa, for, for people listening to this that, uh, you know, including myself that don't know a whole, whole lot about it, what is National Ag Consultants? So we are an H-2A agent, and we facilitate and assist empl- farmers, mm-hmm. agricultural employers, all over the United States. I think we're in 26 different states with their H-2A paperwork. Okay. And so the H-2A program is a program that assist agricultural employers with getting temporary non-immigrant workers to help them with their farm business. And y'all are affiliated with 26 states. Yes. It's not just just Tennessee and Kentucky, Not just Kentucky and Tennessee. We are in 26 different states. Okay. So, you know, and you did a great job of summing that up. It's just basically y'all are there to be the the middleman between uh, the farmers that need extra help. Yes. And the federal government by making sure the extra help comes and gets on their farm and is able to help them with with producing their commodities. Exactly, because most farmers, their office is their pickup truck. Mm-hmm. And most farmers, they're, you're out in the field, you're doing something, you don't have time to sit and wait for an email. Mm-hmm. And so we have the office staff where we sit and wait for those emails. Yes. And respond to them emails. Yes. Well, and it's you know, it's interesting, like you said, the farmers, a lot of times, they, they just don't have time uh, no. to, to devote to something like or that. Or the desire. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, yeah. They yeah. farm. Yes. And they don't want me going out there and telling them how to farm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not a farmer. I'm a farmer's kid. I'm a farmer's grandkid. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a farmer. And so I let them do them, and then I can assist them. And it's my own way of feeding America. You know firsthand that it's, <laughs> it's going to be better off for them if they have a dependable source such as yourself mm-hmm. uh, to help them get the labor that they need. Perfect. And I don't know if people, if people that aren't affiliated with the ag industry, I don't know if they know to what degree the lack or shortage of labor mm-hmm. that there is when it comes to, because you know, I think obviously specifically we're talking about tobacco yeah. here. Um, and for people that don't know that may be listening to this, uh, tobacco is uh, it's a very manual labor intensive crop. Correct. 
um, to, to produce and uh, it <laughs> it'll make a man out of you working in it you know it's that it will. mentally and physically a lot of hard work but also you know I think about like California and uh, like almond farmers mm -hmm. and citrus farmers they also depend on the help of, of migrant workers Correct. to come in and, and help them um, so how did you you said you were your, your daddy was a farmer he was a small part-time farmer so it wasn't his day job but he'd, um, my grandfather was a farmer. And so I started out spending summers with my grandparents working with the chickens and mm -hmm. the pigs and the hogs and the corn and all of that fun joys mm -hmm. that every, I think every kid needs to grow up yes. on a farm. Yeah, so did that, having that experience, it sounded like it was a good one for you. It was, up. it was. It, you know, it taught me a lot of dedication, hard work, um, and what it takes to, you to, whether you feel like it or not, you know, you might be tired, but chickens have still got to get watered. They are still dependent still on you there. to get what they need. Yes. yes. There's, there's a big motivation in getting out there and, and taking care of them. Did, uh, you know, having that experience growing up on a farm, did that... Did that help nudge you in the direction of, of this line of work, or how did you get into this this line of work? So I um, I was a mom, I was a single mom, had you know two kids that were supporting me. I was having to depend on, and I actually answered an ad in a paper for data entry. Mm. And so the company that I went to work for, it was more than data entry, and so I started inputting workers' names into computers, and then running the newspaper ads, and then becoming, well, I filed the job order. So I worked my way up at the company from the ground level to being a supervisor. Where is the company headquartered at? So it was headquartered in, um, in North Carolina as well, but they've since closed, so okay. they're not open anymore. And so when it's closed, I was like, I've got 14 years of this knowledge. Mm. So what am I gonna do with that knowledge if it's like paper or plastic? Because mm. we're like, yeah, we're in a rural area. So you're either a grocery store or Walmart. Farms were leaving that area. Um, so there was, I was like, you know what? I've got this knowledge and I really have a heart for helping the farmer. I'm a little bit too old to go back out there priming tobacco like I did as a teenager. <laughs> However, I can just continue doing what I know. So taking that knowledge. Took that knowledge and started NAC. Okay. You, NAC itself, which is National Ag Consultants, mm -hmm. um, did, did, did you start that yourself? I started it myself. No kidding. And um, we are a family-owned run business. So I'm president and three of my four daughters work there. And then my best friend, Janae, I worked with her at the other company and she was in the same spot. She, you know, so when they closed down, she was working as a prison guard and she hated it. And I was like, hey, what, what's it gonna take to get you to come over for me, you know, to help me out. <laughs> so like I said, it's, my I, husband works there part-time. So this is, it's, it's a family run it's a business. a family owned and run oh, business. That, I had no idea, Teresa, yes. that's fantastic. And you're, yeah. you are the president of that. I am the president of Unbelievable. that. Unbelievable. So what year did you, did you start NAC? So NAC started in 
August of 2014. Okay. Nine years almost. All right, nine years mm -hmm. and still going strong. So are y'all located uh, still in North Carolina? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So when, you had to make the, the trip over here, what, last night or the day We before? flew in yesterday. Okay. Now, flew in late yesterday afternoon. So going to a lot of these trade shows and whatnot, obviously where we are, it's it's specifically focused on tobacco, but I'm, I'm assuming other places you do it in 26 other or 25 other yeah. states uh you're working with maybe people in california or so i do not do california okay. because california is california <laughs> and so if you think it's bad for everything else i mean in california you have to justify hand weeding mm. so you have to justify the size of the hose and how big it is and the regulation size of it. And so I don't do California if I can at all. Stay away it. from California. Well, the reason I bring California up, I just feel like on the news, that's what I hear about the most about migrant workers. But what's what state out of the, the ones that you work with, what's the largest state for, for Florida. migrant workers? That makes sense. Okay. Florida. I, I believe the largest users of H2 I know is Florida, North Carolina, Georgia, and California. Okay. And, you know, it's interesting when you say, when you say Florida, yeah, I think of citrus farms down mm -hmm. there and certain specialty fruits, that kind of thing. Georgia, I would imagine. Peaches. Peaches, peaches and chicken houses maybe or not chicken necessarily houses so much. can't really do h2a okay um but there's a lot of row crop i mean there's a lot of vegetables mm. watermelons so your vegetables start down here in florida and work their way up as mm -hmm. the temperature increases and as the market to come so when you go get a watermelon from your grocery store in january it's more than likely came from california or florida sure and sense. so then as our stuff and stuff starts ripening, there's no need to send it in from Florida mm. because we've got local. It's so interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much of this that he, I mean, I'm, I'm affiliated with the ag industry, but yeah. as far as the H2A part, especially in other states, you know, I'm, I'm completely ignorant of it. So what you started this company, but what what in your mind, how did you bring forth this idea of, hey, I can. I can be this middle, because the program started in the 80s, the H2A program, mm -hmm. you said. Yes. And this was in 2014 when y'all started. Did you just see a, a high demand for this? Like, hey, I've got this experience and knowledge. I could really help these farmers out by being a, um, a, a, a go-between. So that was what I did with the other company. I was, I, that's, they had the idea of being the go-between, and so they were like one of the originals or something. Um, that started being like an agent. They mm -hmm. came up with the idea to assist employers. And me, I have always been service oriented. I've always been, what can I do for you? How can I help you? So not only was it when they closed, I knew apple people are going to need workers for harvesting apples in New York in a month. Mm -hmm. And they already had some of the paperwork done. But so for the first year that I did NAC, I did it for free. Mm. So I helped employers that were already partway in the process that could no longer, that had nobody to assist them and they were fumbling. So I was at my dining room table where there was very little cell phone coverage. <laughs> so on cloudy days, I would have my, my table on my back deck 
with stuff holding my papers down on the phone, helping growers. Mm -hmm. This is what you need to do. This is where you need to mark. This is where you need to send because I had the heart for agricultural, for farms. When that company was shut down, did that just leave a, a vacuum to be filled for this they kind did. of thing? They okay. did. So they were one of the largest ones. And so when they closed, I mean, it was like, there was no notice. I mean, it was just like, okay, we got three weeks and then we're out of here. Mm. And so, like I said, I, I was like, I just, I just couldn't do it. And so once, you know, when we notified people, I had people calling me at home on my private cell phone and they were like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, I've got you, you know, mm. I'm good. I got you. And, you know, even if I have to drive up there to help you get it done, but you know, it's easier than what you think. And a grower could do this if they had an office staff, somebody designated just to do nothing but H2A. They could do it their own. Mm. Um, farmers are not uneducated people. Farmers are the smartest people I know. How else can you earn a living off of the land depending on everything else but mm -hmm. what you do? So farmers could do it. It's like I said, the desire. They don't have the desire. They don't want to be filling out paperwork. Is it is it uh, is it similar to you know I could I could do my taxes mm -hmm. by, or attempt to do them by myself if I wanted to but I have no interest you have in doing no that interest so in I, doing I, it. I have a, an accountant to help me out it sounds like it's, it's there's the a lot of similarities thing. in there it's the same thing so a lot of people I get call me after they're in the middle of the fire because they've tried to do it themselves and they've not understood the timeliness mm. and says what can I do now. Not only that, but you know, anytime you are having to interact with the federal government mm -hmm. about anything, yeah. it's it's a lot. But when you're talking about bringing uh, migrants from a different country, and I, I can't imagine the hoops that yeah. have to be jumped through. Some of those hoops have fire. <laughs> Some of them they breeze. <laughs> We're not just talking about regular hoops. So there there are no regular hoops, and there's always something. Oh, I can certainly imagine. So it's so interesting, though, when that when that company shut its doors, that that uh, it left a lot of farmers high mm -hmm. and dry at the time. Were there just not many other well-known companies to, to fill that void necessarily? So there there were some. I mean, so H two A as it has increased in popularity, you have also increased with people seeing that it's increased in popularity, and so there are a lot of agents out there. Here's your problem. Is it a knowledgeable agent? Mm. So I was recently approached by someone that was wanting me to train his staff. He'd been in H2A a year to train his staff how to do more complicated orders. And I'm like, no, I don't have the time to do mm -hmm. that. Um, I just... Not to mention, I mean, you're... you're I would imagine, not knowing anything about it, but you're dealing with uh, a very serious and complicated potential issue where mm -hmm. you can't necessarily make a whole lot of mistakes without some sort of repercussions. Exactly. And there's going to be repercussions, whether it's financially, whether it's even more oversight, mm -hmm. or whether it's you're not allowed to use the program. Right. And the new regulations that they have, have issued increases the chances of growers and agents being disbarred mm, which that would uh, that would put a lot of farmers out of business that you would know, put if they a lot of farmers use. out of business 
to be eligible for this program, uh, if, you, if you are a farmer of some sort, what, what type of standards do you have to meet if you're in need of, of migrant workers? Okay. So you have to have a temporary or seasonal need. So the H-2A program is a maximum of 10 months. Okay. And so, such as a chicken house, mm -hmm. they don't qualify for H-2A because their chickens are alive year-round. And so dairy farms, they don't qualify for H-2A. Well, that was my next question. When In the livestock, you know, mm -hmm. I, my family, we raised beef cattle. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't have a need for it, but I'm thinking, I, dairies came to mind. And I thought, would they be eligible? But they're not because they're not. The, the product is, is alive. It's living 12 months out of the and year. And it needs care 12 months out of sure. the year. Sure. So you can only be temporary, seasonal. It has to be tied to an annual growing season like tobacco. So you plant tobacco at a certain time, you cultivate it, you weed it, you oil it, you harvest it, you paint, burnt, fire it, you strip it, and then you're done. So it's so interesting because I, I could imagine dairies in particular, they could greatly benefit from this program. If there is there is there anything in the works as far as lobbyists to to make it to where they would be eligible to use this program? I've heard for 23 years that there's going to be changes to the H-2A program and only changes we ever get is more regulation and more <laughs> oversight and well, it's never to help people like dairy farmers. More government, more essentially, government. which I, yes. yeah, this is never a good thing in, in yep. my experience. Mm -hmm. that's, that's so interesting though because, you know, dairy, we've got a, <clears throat> a local a dairyman here and, you know, by talking to them, I know one of their biggest challenges is just, just labor mm -hmm. in particular. So it's, it's interesting uh, you're, you're, that pretty much rules any type of livestock mm -hmm. out, where mainly it's just spe uh, specialty crops, row crop, that kind of yep. thing. Okay. All right. So, uh, you know, if, if tobacco farmer, maybe, you know, for example, they've, this year they wanted to enroll in it. Um, what, what are the boxes that they have to check for that? Is it just a matter of coming to y'all and or going to the federal government and getting qualified or what what is that so in order to give a job to an alien worker you have to first advertise it to domestic workers and so there's steps to doing that so let's just say you sent me your application for your farm so you'd send me your application we'd go through it and we would draft your job order which would be what you needed your workers to do how much you're going to pay them where they're going to be working at, when you need them to start, when they end, and just, you know, the guts of it. Mm -hmm. Then we send that to your local states. We send it to the state of Tennessee, and we say, hey, we are unable to farm, find domestic workers for my job. I need this many workers from this date. This is what they're doing. So I'm going to try to get workers outside of the country. And so they open up a job order as an attempt to recruit domestic workers. That also triggers them, so as one of the requirements is that you provide housing, state inspected housing. And so that also triggers for them to come out and inspect your housing to make sure it's clean, sanitary, and acceptable for workers. So once the state opens your job order, we send it to Federal Department of Labor and we tell them the exact same thing. Hey, can't find domestic workers? We'll have to go outside the country, here, here, here. So when Department of Labor and Federal gets it, they get three choices. They can say yes right away, which is what we like. 
no, you need to, you, you forgot to dot an I or cross a T. And maybe if you change these, these items, you dot that I and cross that T, we'll accept it. And so then they issue an acceptance. And so then we have seven days to gather proof that you have workers' compensation. Doesn't matter if you don't qualify under state law that you're required to have it. Once you enter H-2A, you have to have workers' compensation. So we gather that, we ask you, hey, anybody applied? Nope, okay. So then we do what's called a recruitment report. And we send them proof of workers' comp, and we send the recruitment report into um, Chicago, which is the Federal Department of Labor, Foreign Labor. Once your housing passes inspection, and the state of Tennessee says, yep, housing's passed, nope, no referrals, they send it to them and they issue what's called a labor certification or a temporary labor certification. And so that is your permission to use H-2A workers. We've granted you permission, this is your requirements, and so we then take what's called the, the certification and we go through the next level. So we go to USCIS, United States Citizenship and Immigration in California. And we tell them the same thing we've told everybody else. Can't find domestic workers. This is when you need them. This is how many you need. And the country that you're going to get your workers from. I'm going to say 98% of my employers use Mexico. So then once they approve the petition, our office, while all this is going on, the workers are being contacted, being told you got to pay the government, American government, $190, turn in your passport, get your fingerprints, and all of this to get ready so that once they approve your petition, we make an appointment at the consulate in um, Mexico to, for you to come in and interview. And so the workers have to come in, they do fingers, bio scans, and they do a brief interview on them to check their background, make sure there's no illegal entries, no criminal records. And then after three days, they issue their, H, their H-2A visa. What is the average timeline from by the time a farmer you know, contacts y'all to the time they are in the green? They've got the pass to go forward uh -huh. with this. What's the average timeline for so that? So we have to file your paperwork 75 days before your date of need. And that's a little bit cumbersome. If you think about you're trying to look into the future, and if you go by what happened last year or what happened the year before, you have a general idea. But let's just say you missed your mark. Let's just say you wanted four workers. That's what you did last year. That's what you did the year before. But something has changed. Either your tobacco quota, quota increased or, you know, there's something that has occurred that you're going to need one extra worker. Depending on where you are at in the process, we might have to start all over from scratch for that one worker. It's not like we can say, hey, look, John messed up, he needs one more guy. It doesn't work like that. And this is a very time-sensitive, mm -hmm. potentially, thing. You know, yes. by the time you, uh, you know, start setting tobacco. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> if something, if, if, uh, if, like you said, an I is not dotted, dotted or T-crossed, mm -hmm. that can really put, put a producer in a bind if something's not right. So you have a very important job, Teresa. Well, we kind of feel like that. So for certain times of the year... Our spouses don't see us much. 
<laughs> I can imagine. So before the phones start ringing, I generally get to work about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. <sighs> oh, my goodness. Because now, here's the thing. You pay me a lot of money. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think it's a lot of money. Some people don't think so. I think it's a lot of money. You need to be able to get a response from me when you call me at 8 o'clock mm-hmm. or 7 o'clock or even if you call me at 8 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. I usually, every, all of my clients have my cell phone. They call. They text. Farming's not Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Right. But I need to be able to do me, do what I need to do so that when the phones start, I'm able to give you the attention that you need mm-hmm. and answer your questions. Does that come naturally to you, you think, as far as having that type of patience? Because, you know, a lot of people wouldn't be cut out for that kind of thing. Well, I think so. Um, I came from a long line of, you know, factory workers and working in chicken plants and farm, you know. And so my grandfather was very strict, you know, um, time-wise. So. Sure. It's bred into you. That's it. There you go. Now, now, you said 98% comes from Mexico. I'm just curious, that other 2%, what countries are we talking about? Sometimes they come from Guatemala. Um, apple producers up in Mexico, I mean, up in New York, love Jamaicans because they speak English. No kidding. Well, some of them do. South Africans, a lot of the new people starting to come in say, I don't speak Spanish. I have no, I, I have no intentions of learning Spanish. I want someone who can speak English. And the, a lot of them were elect, were asked to get a South African worker. Mm. Um, the only thing about getting workers from South Africa, they like operating equipment, and that's where they want to be at. They don't want to be on the ground. Um, usually, Mexico workers and South Africans don't are not a good blend together. Mm. They don't G-haul. They do not. It's like putting a Yankee and a redneck in a house. <laughs> Somebody's grits is going to get into the oatmeal. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> oh, no absolutely. There's a cultural uh, mm-hmm. difference there, and I, I can certainly imagine, you know. <laughs> and it's the same way in Mexico. So, you know, ter- you got the mountains and so mm-hmm. forth. So it, there's different regions there also. It would be wise if, if you're, you're going to be receiving these, these workers in, if you can get them geographically from a similar mm-hmm. area. The majority of them are related. They're brothers, cousins, dad and son. Mm-hmm. And for people that don't realize what you already brought it up, if, if, if I'm a, a tobacco farmer and i got to have this help, it's not just a matter of me applying, getting them up here and they're sleeping in tents in my backyard. They have to have housing. Mm-hmm. They have to have a vehicle they can drive. That you furnish you, for them. Either you drive them or a vehicle for them to be able to get back and forth. Uh, they have to, I think you have to buy their fuel. You don't have you? to pay, yes, you have to pay the rent the house, you have to furnish the house. So if you get in a house and you've got five workers, you got to have five plates, five cups, five spoons, set of pots and pans, toilet paper. Um, it just has to be where well, they walk in the door with their clothes and sit down. So comforters, bedspreads, the whole nine, towels, the whole nine yards. And how much, what's the minimum wage that farmers are having to pay? For it depends on where you were at. Right now in the state of Tennessee, it's 14 something an hour. Mm-hmm. It went up from 13 and some change. There's some areas in which it is as high as 17, 17 an hour. And that's not California. My goodness. 
But to remain in business, if that's what you want to do, mm-hmm. you, you just about have to have it. Uh, my, my family, we, my dad, he used to raise tobacco uh, back in the, you know, the 70s and 80s and long before him, you know, my, my grandparents and whatnot. But uh, they took the buyout. It was the late 80s, mm-hmm. I want to say, early 90s. But used to, labor was not really an issue back in the 70s and 80s. You know, majority of families in this county had a small crop of tobacco. Just about everybody did. Mm-hmm. And that's changed greatly over the years. And, uh, you know, used to, everybody, families would help each other out. Yeah. They'd get this farmer took care of, and they'd move over to this farmer's tobacco patch. And it, it just went on and on. It was, um, you know, it was a, an integrated effort to mm-hmm. help each other out. But that that has changed and labor over the past shoot I, just very recently uh, 90s I guess because you said the program has been in existence since the late uh, 80s yeah but back then uh, you didn't hear about it as much in the county but you know I, I know in the last 10-15 years this program has really been utilized by farmers because it's it has to be because yeah. you cannot find help anymore local and, anyway and the few locals are aging out Mm-hmm. So COVID, we noticed, we had a lot of people in Tennessee that had said, hey, look, I'm going to have to get a worker sooner than I have in the past because this guy who is his go-to guy who does his tractor or he does this and he does that, he said, he said he's been talking about retiring for years. He's 70 years old or he's 65 years old. And with this COVID coming up, He's scared to leave his house. Mm. He doesn't want to leave the home, his house. So I need somebody. Or he can't, like when, in, when they're growing tomatoes or something, the seed beds, you know, mm-hmm. having to pick up the seedling. They're, they're just aging out of the system. It's just too much for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that, that directly impacts your business, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm sure in good ways and probably not so good ways, too. So regretfully, COVID was great for H2A mm. for that exact reason. But the bad part was... So Department of Labor, you know, it's very regulated, says every time you cross a set of workers, you need to do a job order. And so so if you need a worker in March, and then you need one, a couple that sit on the setter in May, and then you need some for heart, that's three job orders. Mm-hmm. You have done this process three times, you've gone through the ringer just to have staff, workers on your farm. It's a lot of hoops. So the previous administration was going to let us file a job order, and then you had the season to cross your workers. And just didn't get it. And obviously, you know, the change in leadership every four Four years, years, that's going to directly impact. um, Well, so one set, when they're in charge, we have bigger issues at the Department of Labor where it's tougher. And then when we have another set, Department of Labor seems to be a whoo, and then we get to immigration and then that's a fight. And so it got to the point that people were having to call their senators, not in your area. We've got, you got some banging people here, I'm gonna tell you, they are very attentive to the needs of farmers. But there's a lot of areas that don't have that. Mm -hmm. They don't have a, a, a representative that can assist them with getting their paperwork pushed through at immigration. You're at the mercy of, of whoever gets gets put in there. Exactly. Essentially. And yep. if you're fortunate, in, in Tennessee, we are very fortunate. Yeah. 
you know, the, the, the politicians in the state, they do, there's an awareness of the needs of farmers, and we're very fortunate for that. Yes. And I, is North Carolina, would that, is it similar? Not, Not so really. much. So we have a lot of ag, but out east it's hog farms. Mm. So all of the attention goes to the hog farms with the waste and the lawsuits. Sure. So oh, forth. yeah. I can, I've, I've heard a little bit about that yeah. before. And okay. so we grow a lot of sweet potatoes. Not as much tobacco as we used to. It's more, well, we got lots of sweet potatoes and Christmas trees. Christmas trees. Christmas trees. Would that be, would Christmas trees be eligible for? It is, because you've planted it, you've taken care of it, and you've harvested mm. it. I know sometimes these Christmas tree farms, they're like two to three years before the tree is harvested sometimes, so I didn't know if that would Seven years. Seven years. Seven years for a full-size Christmas tree. I was. I thought maybe that might affect, you know, the duration of eight months, longer than eight months, but then not being. You're doing it every year. Okay. This is an annual program. Whew. So, you know, after the trees fertilized and during the dormant season, when it's just sitting, they don't need workers. Right. It's so interesting mm-hmm. how, how all this, what you have to do, I mean, you, you've got to be on top of this, this mm-hmm. stuff to make sure this gets done. And you've got a lot of people dependent on you, I'm sure. Yes. Um, but I'm sure you're incredible. Uh, about how you do it and how you go about it, you know. Well, I try. Well, the fact you're giving your your personal phone out to to, to your clients, you know that that yeah. means a lot. So you're you're on call. I'm on call twenty four, and my husband gets it. He understands, you know. He knows. He grew up working in tobacco and working on the farm. His grandfather was a farmer, or his grandmother, one of them was farmed, and so he gets it. And he, you know, was sitting there eating the other night at Cracker Barrel, and he's like. Well, who's got the problem? And so I told him who it was, and he's like, oh, well, they don't know just the blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, you know, this is a, <laughs> kind of a little bit different, you know, so. When's your off season to where typically it's a little bit slower? So we start slowing down. It's just, so when I'm going, I can breathe. Janae's not because she's making worker appointments. So when I've got workers here in July, in July, you know, you're thinking 75 days out. Well, those of us filing job orders, we're breathing a little bit. She's kicking it up. She's fighting it, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get appointments, trying to get workers to show up for their turning their passports and stuff. So she's doing all of that. And then when we start getting picked back up for the fall, she's easing off just a tad. Mm-hmm. And so it, there's never a downtime. It's almost like it comes in shifts. Whenever mm-hmm. you can breathe, somebody else is busy Correct. and vice versa. Because greenhouses start. You think you get nursery and greenhouses, they start depending on their location December, January. Mm-hmm. And not to mention, you know, I'm sure you do a, a lot of these trade shows like this. So I don't do as many trade shows. So Tennessee's my favorite one because I get to actually see my farmers and talk to them and, you know, especially, and it's especially fun when you've spent all year talking on the phone or talking through mm-hmm. email. And so getting to see them and, you know, it's fun when you see the younger ones coming and their kids are growing up. Oh, yeah. And you're like, yeah. oh, my goodness, look how big you've shot up. Yeah. Kind of like a family reunion. Oh, no, I can absolutely see that. And so I don't, I get mine by word of mouth. Mm-hmm. I don't advertise. I do, I do not want to overwork an already over busy staff. Sure. So unless you call me and say, "Hey, look, 
Bobby Ogg told me to give you a call. You're my girl. We don't take on any new. Right. Right. Well, you just you, you just can't. I can't. You know, and so my husband told me that. He says, Teresa, he says, I know you care. He said, but you're already working 16 hours a day, six days a week. Mm-hmm. When's enough enough? Yeah. And then Sunday's God's day. You know, I'm at church because I'm the secretary at my church. So I'm there doing payroll, you know, at 6 o'clock on Sunday mornings and making sure the service goes and the lights are on. So I did all that on Sundays. And then he's like, you know, that gives you three hours on Sunday afternoon. When's enough enough? You got a lot of irons in the fire. I do. Yeah, it, it certainly sounds like it. And uh, for anybody that, you know, they just need to name drop Bobby Ogg and then. Uh, that, <laughs> there you that, go. <laughs> or, you know, so I take on, so, I mean, I don't, you would, I guess you would think I was from Tennessee or Kentucky. I take on anybody from Tennessee and Kentucky that calls me. Mm. I do just because I love the area. I, I, I understand the tobacco really well, even though y'all do it totally different than we in the North Carolina we prime mm-hmm. and we're cigarette tobacco and so forth mm-hmm. so but anybody from Tennessee and Kentucky calls I take them up uh, I mean cause like you said it's close to home and I'm sure very mm-hmm. relate I'm sure the, the people down here geographically are, are relatable more so than probably some other states that you they're more laid back with. yeah mm-hmm. they're not I mean they understand the importance of it but you don't have to worry about it being you know somebody that's in you know, I don't know like Illinois or something right with, you know being right that makes sense. It's so it's so interesting, Teresa. I'm so thankful that uh, we we got to be able to do this because you educated me on a lot. I'm sure a, a lot of other people when they listen to this. So, um, wrapping it all up, is there any important, relevant, upcoming news that that farmers would need to know about the program? Any changes that they need to be made aware of? That kind of thing. So they did do some changes to the program this year. Um, most of the changes were not good changes. So we need a good, workable, farmer-friendly program to use. We need it fixed. Um, It needs to be affordable. It needs to help farmers get their workers and not punish them for getting workers from outside of the United States when the United States cannot provide that. Because mm-hmm. this is the way it is like when it comes for food production. Within the next 10 years, our, our food is going to be picked by a foreign national. Mm-hmm. So we need to decide if we want it here, well, we have GAP and EPA, or do we want it somewhere else when there's no regulations. Mm, don't, kicking the can down the road, That's that it. kind of thing, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting and a lot, uh, it's, it's a lot behind the scenes mm-hmm. that... Uh, know people need to be made aware of and I, I would imagine you know call your senator that's yep. that's something you can do and they've got to get together mm-hmm. so I always get a call from a senator here and a senator there where they're working on a bill and you never hear anything from it you need safety in numbers yep. you need everybody in on the same on the same play mm-hmm. and if you can get enough people calling in Yep. Making uh, making these people aware that hey, this is an important issue to us, then you know, it. it increases the chances of it getting done. In a and Congress senators and congressmen, that's what they are there for. Yeah, you elected them, you pay them, they work for you. Mm-hmm. That's how it should be, anyway. That's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, Teresa, this has been fantastic. I really, really appreciate your time coming on here. Was this your first podcast? It is. You did a great job, and I am honored that that we 
Robertson Cheatham Farmers that got to be your first podcast. That's fantastic. Well, you did a great job, and it's great having you. And uh, everybody, we appreciate y'all listening, and uh, we will see y'all next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Grazing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and come pay us a visit at Robertson Cheatham Farmers Co-op.